Good morning, friends. If I don't know you, my name's Kurt. I'm one of the pastors of Wild Street and St. Matt's. It's a pleasure to have you along this morning. Uh, you would have seen the video this morning of Andy Boots and his family. I was down at St. Matt's this morning when they saw it for the first time, and they were really excited to be having a new pastor, and um, the video was great. One funny thing I need to tell you that, and maybe you could start doing this as soon as he arrives. Um, during the week, uh, I was asked... Uh, I, was, I get asked to go and do prayers at the council chambers before they start their meetings. Uh, so the minister rocks up, he prays for the prayer, and then they go on with the council meeting, the local council meeting. Anyway, I put Andy's name forward to be the person who actually does it after I leave. And um, instead of... He, his email address is booties at gmail.com, and so they called him Reverend Booties. So I sent an email back to him saying, I dare you to not tell them and just go with it. It's on the first. Introducing Reverend Booties from St. Matthew's Botany, coming to say, I want to see there's a straight face. Anyway, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. He's going to be a good guy. Let me pray, and we'll just look at this incredible passage. Father God, we praise you and we thank you for your word. And so we just want to stop, Lord. We want to stop all the busyness in our brains to actually zero in on what you are saying to us, to listen to you, God, to listen to your word and to have it enlarged in our vision for what our lives are about and how we do each day. And so, Father, by your spirit, do something in us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is towards the end. Uh, when I was young, all right, I'm going to go back in my childhood again, 14 years old, imagine a 14-year-old Kurt, so much, much smaller, uh, I played a game of rugby league against a guy called Johnny Musa. Now, Johnny Musa was a man-child. You know, those guys who just grew, was, they were shaving at eight years old, and they just grew way bigger than everyone else. And so that's not exactly Johnny Musa, but that was, that was the equivalent. That's the scale of how big Johnny Musa was compared to everyone else. Literally, no one would stop him on our my team. And so the strategy for his team was to pass it to Johnny, and you'd literally hear them saying, pass it to Johnny, pass it to Johnny. And then Johnny just ran straight over the top of us and scored a try. And so uh, we played against that, Johnny's team, and we lost 96-0. And our strategy at one stage to slow Johnny down was, I did the kickoffs was to try and kick it out, because at least if we kicked it out, it stopped him for a moment, and we got to settle ourselves and have a scrum. But that was our only strategy. 96 nil. Johnny Musa was unstoppable. And so I went to some mats last week and I opened with that illustration and I talked about how the message of Jesus in the book of Acts is more unstoppable. It's more unstoppable than Johnny Musa. Acts shows us how God's power to save can't be stopped. And we got that from the kids' talk as well. But what I think I missed in emphasising that truth was that although the gospel cannot be stopped, for the average Christian in any given moment, it actually doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like the gospel's unstoppable like Johnny Musa. Sure, there are moments when someone gets saved and, and we praise God and we think, isn't the gospel amazing? God saves people. But the most of the time... We're struggling with the reality, are we not, that the people we love, our families, our neighbours, our friends, who don't know Jesus, are not going to be saved. So as we get back into the book of Acts today, 
we are going to see the unstoppable gospel because that is there. But at the same time, we want to understand that that power is not always seen. That power is not always seen. Today we're jumping back into the book of Acts and like Rog said, it's the sequel to the Gospel of Luke, an account of Jesus' life, death and resurrection on earth, picks it up 40 days after Jesus' resurrection and shows us Jesus what Jesus continues to do by the Holy Spirit through the message about him given through the apostles and, and these people. And the kids' talk helpfully took us through the story so far. Uh, we kicked it off in chapter 1, Jesus' parting words up on the screen, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Chapter 1, you get the kind of the program what's going to happen right through. Chapter 2, they're empowered by the Spirit to witness and start speaking about Jesus. Three, four, five, and six chapters, they experience opposition from outside and they have internal problems within. Chapter seven, Stephen is killed for speaking about Jesus. It's getting serious now. So you think that would stop the message, but no, chapter eight, the persecuted people are scattered from Jerusalem and as they go, they tell other people about Jesus. Chapter nine, zero is in on the life of Paul. And we see the greatest threat to the message of the gospel becomes the greatest asset as Saul goes on mission to tell people about Jesus, to tell people that Jesus has risen from the dead. And Saul is given a particular mission, and that is to not just go to the Jewish people, but to the non-Jewish people as well, the Gentiles. Chapters 10 and 11, the camera shifts to look at Peter and one of Jesus' apostles, an encounter he has with a non-Jewish man named Cornelius, God shows Peter that Gentiles can receive Jesus and be saved. And so then Peter goes back to the church in Jerusalem and he reports to the leaders this, Acts 11, 18. This is how they responded. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Okay, so you get to the end of Acts 1 to 11, and it sounds like the Gentile mission is going to go forward. We're excited about that. But we've got these two powerful leaders. We've got this Paul guy who's been called by God, Jesus on the Damascus Road, and we've got Peter who's gone to the house of Cornelius. But in the section we read today, we realise that the mission to the Gentiles had a much more humble beginning. We see God's mission not coming through these obvious expressions of these Johnny Musa-like powerful preachers who go out and have big evangelistic crusades. But we see the gospel going out in the midst of incredible weakness. So let me kick off in chapter 11, verse 19. The first thing we see is that the Gentile church is started by some persecuted people sharing the gospel. The Gentile church is started by some persecuted people sharing the gospel. So verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, 
and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And so in some senses, the camera is kind of, if you're in the movie, you're kind of going backwards in a bunch of scenes, back to just after chapter 8, where, the, where Stephen is killed and the people are scattered from Jerusalem. And so as the people are running, these persecuted people run from their homes and they go north, these, these people are running in fear, aren't they? They're running in fear of imprisonment. They're running in fear of death. They've just seen Stephen killed. They think, that, that, I don't want that to happen to me. And so they're not these super powerful evangelists who are walking around, going to towns, doing miracles and, and, and proclaiming the, the passages. These guys are almost refugees on the run. They're in weakness. Yet as they go, they can't help but as they talk to people, talking to them about the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so most of them are talking to the Jewish people, but some of them are speaking to the non-Jewish people. And the most incredible thing happens. These scared people, as they share the news about Jesus risen from the dead, people get saved, both Jews and non-Jews. So you think, you get up to 11 verse 18 and you think it's going to be these powerful men going out and telling people about Jesus that are going to have massive impact. But all of a sudden you see it's through the weak, it's through the vulnerable, it's through the unnamed people of the Bible that this Gentile mission kicks off. Why is that? Because what we're going to see in this section today, and I think right through the book of Acts, is that the power is not in the messenger of the gospel. The power is in the message of the gospel. The power is not in the messenger of the gospel. It's in the message of the gospel. And so if this morning you are feeling weak, if you feel like your life is just really messy, then you are the perfect person in the perfect situation to share the message of the gospel with others. Because here's the thing, when you share it, people are not looking at you and thinking, oh, isn't he like this amazing communicator that can answer every question? No, they're thinking there's a power beyond this person. It's in the message. It's in the message, the message of Jesus. So the Gentile church is started by unnamed persecuted people. Secondly, the Gentile is built up by spirit-enabled leaders who teach the message, who teach the gospel. So chapters 11 and 12, you get three such people. So the first person is Barnabas, so verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas has grown up in this region. So he's a leader in the church in Jerusalem. So he's the obvious person to be sent up into this region to verify the work of God that's going on up there. And so he has this unique role of coming to verify, but not only that, to come and build up the saints, teach them about the gospel, encourage them to continue to follow Jesus. And so Barnabas plays his part up there, but he recognises that it's such an incredible work that's happening that he needs more help and so he goes to enlist the support of Paul. And so that's the second person you see in verse 25, Paul. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Paul, for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. 
See, it's interesting, when you read the book of Acts, you think Paul, Damascus Road, he sees the risen Jesus, and he's called to the apostles to the Gentiles, and then you think he goes straight out on his missions to the Gentiles, so he goes off into the ancient lands, but the reality is, Paul goes to Damascus, asking seeing him on the Damascus Road, he stays for a while in Damascus, and then because of danger to his life, ends up going back to his hometown of Tarsus, listen, for eight to ten years. For eight to ten years. And what we think is most of the... Like, he was preaching. He was preaching to Jewish people. We think he suffered a lot of persecution during that time from the Jewish people. But um, it's most likely the Gentile mission didn't actually kick off until he gets enlisted by uh, by Barnabas to come down to Antioch. And so Barnabas, as the, the bridge builder that he is, brings Paul to Antioch to build up the saints of Antioch, to teach the gospel to them, to encourage them in the faith. And so Barnabas verifies and encourages the church. Paul comes, he testifies and establishes and teaches the church. And thirdly, you have Agabus building up the church. Verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now there's lots of discussion from from people about what prophecy, what is prophecy in the New Testament. Um, We all kind of, what we can agree on is that it's words given to the church by God for the building up of the church. And, And so in this case, Agabus speaks of a word to build up the church, and it's a word of the future, that there's a future famine to, coming to all the Roman world. Now, as exciting as that is, and you think, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if we had people each week come up here and give a word about what's going to happen in the future? The most incredible bit here is the response of the people. The real miracle here is the overflowing of generosity from the Gentile church after they hear the word of Agabus their generosity overflowing to the Jerusalem church, to the Jewish church. Because historically, Gentiles and Jews hated each other, but now in Christ, the gospel has changed these Gentiles so they now want to be generous to the Jewish people. So yes, the message of the gospel goes out through every single Christian. It's not dependent on me. It's not dependent on Rod or Josh or even Andy. But within the church, God has set apart certain people to be teachers, to be encouragers, to be prophets who speak the word of God to grow Christians. And so in this church, we have growth group leaders, we have people who are service leaders, we have preachers, we have people who meet one-to-one with people and do the word ministry with people, encouraging them in the gospel. These are people that God has set apart as gifts to the church to build up the church through the ministry of the word. Men and women who we should be praying for to be continually faithful to what the word says. And so chapter 11, the focus is on this Gentile church and the explosion. Chapter 12, the camera pans back to Jerusalem. And what we get is this, I mean, as Dave gave you this morning, as he read the story this morning, you get the comic element to it. You get this comical story 
that shows us again the power is not in the messengers. It's in the message. So firstly, you see the persecution of the messenger. I'm picking it up in verse 1 of chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Now, it's pretty pretty obvious the strategy here of King Herod. The way to kill a movement is to kill its powerful leaders. So pick out who the powerful leader's in, knock them down, and then you get rid of the movement. It's the same method they thought would work with Jesus, isn't it? They thought, kill Jesus, we'll kill the movement. Here, uh, who's killed? I keep on saying John. It's James. James is killed and Peter is put in prison. And again, I want you to see here, I want you to stop and just ponder that. At this point, the gospel doesn't seem very unstoppable. All right, someone's just got killed. Imagine you were part of that church where James has just been killed and then Peter's gone to prison. So the people who've been teaching the Bible, imagine me and Rod, I get killed and Rod goes to prison. At that point, you're not thinking to yourself, praise God, the gospel's so powerful, things are changing, we're, you know, we're going to impact the world, our church is going forward. You'd be, you'd be scared, wouldn't you? You'd be feeling weak, you'd be feeling vulnerable. It wouldn't feel like... The gospel was like Johnny Moose and knocking down everything that comes in its path. Your world would feel upside down. But keep going. We're going to see the power of the message. While the Christians pray for Peter, as we keep going through the story, he's put in, while well, the Christians are praying, so what happens is Peter's taken away to prison. The Christians meet in a home to start praying. He's put in a dungeon cell. He's guarded by a bunch of soldiers, heaps of soldiers. He's chained to two of them, okay? He's naked and chained to two soldiers in a dungeon cell. Everyone is asleep. The angel come, and the word it used for waking Peter up is he shook him violently. So he's dead asleep. You know, he's just waking him up like this. Come on, Peter, wake up. The chains fall off Peter's hands. The angel says, put your clothes on, will you? So he puts his clothes on. Then Peter, the text just simply says, he just walks out of the dungeon while all the doors are opening. So the chains fall off, he tells him to put in his clothes and he just walks out, doors opening. Verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. It's like Peter was sleepwalking. (laughs) That's what I imagine here. It's almost like Peter was completely passive in this escape. It wasn't like some mission impossible where he'd figured out, the, got the plans for the dungeon cells and managed to put something in his mouth, a little key, so he could get the... No, no, he, he's this passive sleepwalking person that God brings out of the jail so that by the time he gets to the street, he goes, wow, I think God did that. I think God got me out here. He then goes to the house of John Mark's mum, who we presume is obviously quite a wealthy woman because she's got a house that can gather a bunch of Christians... And we hear that the Christians had gathered there to pray. A servant girl comes to the door. She hears the voice of Peter. She gets so excited by it, she forgets to open the door. She runs away to tell the others. 
They hear that Peter's at the door, they think she's a crazy woman, and then suggest that it's his angel. Now, that's a bit strange. Now, why do they think it's his angel? It's understood that during that time, some Jewish people believed that each person had a guardian angel. All right, that's, that's possibly the background for why they think it's an angel, even though, but the bottom line is they don't think it's Peter. So here is this group of Christians. They're praying for Peter, who's in dungeon, in jail, and even when he comes out, they can't believe it. It's not like they're these faithful people who are believing for it, you know, and thinking, because we have believed that Peter is going to be out of prison, it's going to happen. These people don't even believe the truth of the matter when he actually rocks up at their door. And so Peter is out there knocking away, saying, let me in, let me in, let me in. They come out to see him and it says they're amazed. Peter tells them, go and tell the other leaders what's happened to me. And then he takes off because he doesn't want to get caught by Herod again. He takes off to another city so they can't put him back in jail. The story keeps going. The next day the soldiers are killed by Herod because he finds out that Peter's gone. They're killed for actually losing Peter. And then we finally hear this story about Herod who tried to kill the apostles for saying that Jesus was God. He then is struck down for claiming that he was God. Now, it's a comical story. It's a funny story. What is the deal? Why does it get inserted here? Again, it's meant to show you the power is not in the messenger. It's not, Peter is not this powerful leader who somehow gets himself out of jail to preach the gospel. He sleepwalks literally out of the jail because God makes a way for him to escape. But not only that, the power is not even in the people praying. See, I think in first reading on that, you can read through this text and you think, man, here is this group of Christians and because they prayed in such a certain way, God delivered Peter. But when Peter arrives at their door, they don't even believe it's him. So the power's not in Peter. The power's not in these faithful prayers, praying according to what they think God wanted. The power is in God. And that's where it summarises. Verse 24, it says, But the word of God increased and multiplied. Now, this little thing, it's going to be, that got repeated in verse 6, verse 7. And again in chapter 19, he says the same thing. The power is not in the messenger that increased people being saved. The power is not in these powerful prayers of the saints working more miracles. The power in the book of Acts is the message about Jesus. And that is the thing that, as it is spoken, sees people saved. The power is not in the messengers or the people praying. The power is in the message. And you see, that's why it can't be stopped. That's why in the book of Acts it can't be stopped. That is why during times of Christians being persecuted, homeless running for their lives, the message still saves. That is why when Christian leaders are killed and imprisoned, the message keeps saving people. That is why when your life is messy and you think, I am the worst witness for Christ in the world, people can still be saved. Do you see? Sometimes the whole process of telling about Jesus, people about Jesus, gets short-circuited because we think, nah, it's, I, I just can't do it because I'm not in a good spot. I'm really stressed out at work. My kids are running wild. I've got too much on my plate. 
The power is in the message, friends. The message about Jesus. Just recently I got back from holidays up the coast and one of the things we like to do is go down to this ocean pool which has this, um, the way the water gets in, it's pumped from the ocean with this big pipe into the pool. Now, when the pipe goes into the pool, it's kind of below the surface of the water. One of the things we love to do is get our boogie board and shove it under it, all right, to try and put it, because the pressure of the water is coming down, you put your boogie board under it and try and stop the water coming out. Now, there's a little hole up the top, so it makes the water squirt out the top, but if you push it hard, about, hard enough, it, it doesn't even just come out there. It squirts out the side as well. So it's really fun. It's really exciting. The pressure of the water cannot be stopped. And the same is true for the message of the gospel. See, Acts shows us it does not matter what it is. The gospel message cannot be stopped. The power of the message, if if you stop it in one way, it will leak out another. It will find another place. Try to stop it at one point, it squeezes out. Pursue Paul and it happens through unnamed people. Kill James and imprison Peter and God sends an angel to deliver Peter. The message is always going to squeeze out, friends. Nothing can stand against its pressure. And so that means lockdowns will not stop the gospel. Another COVID variant will not stop the gospel. Freedom of religion legislation will not stop the gospel. Hatred over the Bible's teaching on sexuality or gender or other religions will not stop the power of the gospel. Or just general apathy. Just a culture that says, I don't give a stuff about your religion and Jesus and all that stuff will not stop the power of the gospel going forward. The pressure of Jesus and the message about him always squeezes out because the power is not in the messengers. The power is in the message. Now, if you understand that, you might be thinking, if the power is all about the message and it's not, nothing, you know, it's not in us, then why do we need, need to get bothered, bothered getting involved? Can't we just go about our lives and God's going to save whoever he saves and if he wants to save that person, he'll send an angel and he'll do all sorts of miraculous things to get it done. He doesn't really need us. What's the point of even being involved? In one sense, that's true. In one sense. You don't... God is not dependent on you for the message to go forward. And so it's not a have to. But instead, I think the gospel and the Bible presents us not you have to share the gospel, but that you get to. You get to. God invites every one of us to be involved in the most significant work you can participate in. A work that does not just last for a couple of years, but one that lasts for eternity. A a work that impacts not just people's lives now, but forever. A work that gives people ultimate hope, ultimate peace, ultimate purpose, ultimate truth, ultimate relationship with the God they were made to worship. And so the deal is this, friends, you get to share the message of the gospel. You get to participate in that. You get to faithfully pray for others to hear about Jesus and have their lives impacted. Knowing the power is not in us, the power is not in our prayers, but it's in God and his message of salvation. 
This week, my grandma died on Tuesday. And on Friday this week, I'm going to stand up in front of my my family and none of them know Jesus. And I'm going to be really nervous because it's my grandma's funeral in front of my family and they don't know Jesus and it's, it's a hard gig. But I need to remember this truth. In that moment, the power is not in me. It's not in me doing it a certain way. I need to be faithful to God's call in my life. I need to take that opportunity he's given me and trust that the power is in him. That as I proclaim his gospel, as I speak about Jesus, people get saved. I'm not sure where you're up to in your life at the moment. I don't know who's in your life at the moment you need to share the gospel with. Maybe you've got relationships within your family where you've talked to them about Jesus a couple of times, but that's been years ago. Maybe you want to start that conversation again. Maybe you've got discouraged that it's never going to work. Friends, give it a chance, honestly. Faithfully speak about Jesus. Faithfully pray for these people. Even if your prayers feel at times like you never think they're going to get saved, like your faith is waning, like you're really struggling to believe it's ever going to happen, it doesn't matter. Faithfully pray. Faithfully speak. Because it's the message that saves. The book of Acts shows us what the risen Jesus is continuing to do in this world. He's continuing his work to save people through the message spoken by the apostles and his people. It's an unstoppable message about an unstoppable saviour. And so if this morning you are someone who has not responded to the message, if this morning you are someone who is just exploring Christian faith and you're really learning for the first time that Jesus came and died on the cross, that you might be forgiven and have a restored relationship with God, if that's new to you, then this morning... If you're sensing that might be something that you want to believe in, that you think you could trust in, then that power to believe is not in me and my capacity to explain it this morning. You in this moment are experiencing a work of God. God is opening your blind eyes so that you can see how wonderful Jesus is, that he died for you to save you and he wants you to come home. And so if this morning you are someone who hasn't put their trust in Jesus, let me encourage you to come and chat to me afterwards and I can lead you in praying a prayer to Jesus to restore your relationship with him or consider doing the life course that was spoken about earlier. Why don't I pray? Father God, we praise you and thank you that in spite of our capacities, our our weakness, our vulnerabilities, your message saves people. We thank you the power is not in us, in our prayers, but in what you declare about what your son has done. And so we ask, Lord, desperately, we want to be those people, Lord, who faithfully speak about Jesus to others, even when we feel like everything is lost even when things are going backwards and we think like they're never going to get saved, help us to be faithful, pray, faithfully praying and sharing Jesus with others that they might be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.